Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the Watch It Baptist Church pastor and it's my privilege to talk to you uh, today as the next in our series on James continues with this time with the beginning of chapter four. Uh, I'm in Watch It the minute outdoors making the most of clear skies and, and dry skies uh, to talk to you from an outdoor space. This is Splash Point you can see behind me. Uh, and we're looking at, um, I can't, I've lost track of how many parts there've been now, but, but it, it's, this series uh, of teaching has been prepared in a round table style, that is to say a group of us get together and look at the passages together and then one of us goes ahead and shares a message from them. So I'd like to put on record my thanks uh, to the team who've worked with me so far. We're going to pray and they're going to read from James 4. Let's pray. Father God, would you be in my thinking? Would you be in my speaking? Would you be in my heart? So that I might belong to you entirely in this moment. And Lord Jesus, would you be in our ears and in our hearts and in our hands and feet as we listen and look to embed something of yourself in who we are and then put it into action too. Amen. And so we read this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but favours the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you? Who are you to judge your neighbour? Back in 2017, there was a Formula One race in which a particular um, episode happened that I thought was quite an interesting illustration that might help us with this passage today. It was it involved two guys who were racing for the same team. And their names were Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez. So Ocon and Perez were both doing really well in this race. Both of them had got quite a long way towards the front. They were fourth and fifth. And third place was within their reach. And they were teammates, but 
both of them felt they had something to prove against the other one. And so it began quite a long drawn out battle for fourth place between these two drivers. That battle meant that neither of them were trying to chase down third. And it also meant that while they were busy attacking and defending, sixth place came up and overtook them both. And so instead of possibly the two drivers finishing third and fourth, or at least if they hadn't gone after each other fourth and fifth, they ended up finishing fifth and sixth. They were distracted by this sense that they had to defend against each other or to push their way ahead of each other. And it cost them and it cost their team. It's interesting to think about this letter from James to churches in the first century. It's interesting because the more I look at it, the more I spend time with others looking through it and preparing it, the more I think that James is actually very pointy. He's not exactly prickly, but he is incisive and sharp. And he manages to do that in a way that, while I think it borrows heavily from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, brings an extra edge that perhaps Jesus doesn't bring. And I like that. Don't get me wrong, I don't enjoy it necessarily. I find it quite challenging. But I like it because I like the idea that in the middle of all of the reminders of grace and all of the um, encouragement of mercy that Jesus brings, all of the advocacy of the Holy Spirit, there is still scripture that says, whoa, 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 hang on. You need to look at yourselves. You need to check yourself. I think that's a phrase that uh, I've heard kicking around recently. Check yourself and look at what you're doing because not all of it is going to be good. And if we want to follow Jesus and live in the way that he would live, we need people to remind us of that. So, Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez give us a helpful introduction to what it might mean to be focused on getting ahead or attacking or defending. And the ways in which those things can distract us when we're trying to be part of a church, when we're trying to be disciples, apprenticed to Jesus, following his lead. This passage, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, as is so often the case, really makes the most sense if you start with the bit that comes just before it. Now, the last talk in this series was about taming the tongue. It's called tongue taming. And towards the end of that passage, we get this two-verse paragraph. It says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And that is the first verse of chapter four. Can you see how there's this, this kind of continuation from one to the other? That you have this conversation about relational priorities and, and when we are wise, we treat each other in particular ways. It's worth actually having another look at those ways. It's just a little tiny list that James gives us. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and then peace loving. Well, that's a relational thing. Consider it. That's a relational thing. Submissive can't do that unless you're in relationship full of mercy which is an expression of one to another 
um, mercy is, uh, good fruit, impartial, that's definitely relational, and sincere. And then verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You can't be a peacemaker on your own. You need people around you with whom you're trying to make peace. And so James, of course, naturally goes on to, well, those are the, are the marks of wisdom. What is it that causes the friction, the fights and quarrels? And he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James recognises, first up, as we think about the way in which relational wisdom works, that there is an internal battle for us as we seek to follow Jesus. We have this real relational drive then. And part of the reason why I wanted to pick that up is because I think it's really important when we come to a couple of verses early on in this chapter. So, verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We have here a continued emphasis on the relational there. And it gets picked up again even more in verses 11 and 12, where James writes, Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against the brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. See, again, it's, don't, don't slander each other. Don't speak badly about each other. These are all relational. So why do I think that's really important? Well, because when we come to the beginning of chapter 4, uh, excuse me scrolling along there it says you desire but do not have so you kill or hate might be a more accurate description of what James is getting at you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask when you ask you do not receive because you ask of the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures now lots of people certainly as I was growing up and even one or two in the commentaries that I'm reading want to drive home a point there about hedonism. They even connect um, the Greek word, which has a similar root to hedonism, with what's being said here. You may spend what you get on your pleasures. And certainly it's, it would be easy to say, this is about me um, pursuing what makes me happy. Uh, and I think very often we tend to then go towards, well, I guess what, 20, 20, 20th or 21st century thinking would consider hedonistic. And we might talk about partying or drinking or whatever it, it might be. Now, I think it's important that we don't get too distracted by this because of all those references to relational uh, attitudes and behaviour. James, from the end of chapter 3 through the, uh, all, of our, all of our passage here, 1 to 12 of, of chapter 4, seems to really be emphasising not an individual issue, but a corporate one, one that involves the church and the relationships across the church and if we're going to allow that to be the focus which i think is appropriate then all of a sudden this passage becomes much less about um, me getting things that that might give me pleasure but god might not approve of and instead becomes me pursuing my preferences at the expense of those that might serve and encourage the community around me the faith community around me it's very important to remember that James is writing here to churches and that these letters would be read out for churches to understand. He's talking about quarrels and fights. So that has to be about the way in which people interact with each other and that certainly has been an emphasis of the letter 
overall. How do you, as a community of Jesus, do things? You might remember from uh, our look at chapter three last time around uh, with Jess, that there is this tongue-taming element that's really important. And in that, in that, um, in looking at that passage, we were able to see that that when it comes to how we talk to each other, it is about so much more than winning the argument, persuading people of a point of view, or, or even um, championing a doctrine. It is lots to do with how we speak to each other, the attitude that we bring to conversation and discussion, and even disagreement. And it's not just about words either, it's about attitudes too. You can say all the right words, but the way you say them or the way that your body is positioned while you're saying them can cause difficulty, even if the words sound good. I think we take this really all the way back to this concept of where trust really sits. This double-minded idea, which gets referred to again in this passage. That we have a tendency as human beings and therefore expressed in churches to know that trusting God is the right thing to do but to tend to want to build other securities around ourselves to have backup plans or um, to sort of ask God to be involved but make sure we've also got our own blanket around us rather than trusting God to keep us warm if you like and I think this is part of what James is getting to here again it's perhaps not surprising it has been a continuing theme don't just think the right things do the right things don't just say you trust god actually put everything on the line for his version of doing things you see we have to look at it why it is that we quarrel what it is that means that we fall out with one another and what the motivations are behind those fallings out now to this point i go back to the idea that while i like what james does in his letter i don't always enjoy it the reality is I don't really want somebody to come along and say to me, hey Mike, are you aware that your your vision might be blurry on this issue because you are caught up in what you think is right or what you would prefer rather than trying to clear that away and just focusing on what Jesus is calling you to do. I don't really want someone coming along and saying that to me. For a start, it makes me question my assumptions. I quite like my assumptions, I feel quite at home with them. It also forces me to handle disagreement with others in a way that gives them space, that makes sure they get heard. And there's part of me that worries that if I let somebody else's perspective come across, then it might win people over and I would rather I won people over. Um, I know that, I've used this kind of illustration before, but I know that... um, for all that Norwich City have had great success over the years and are currently uh, a division above Ipswich Town, their arch rivals. The reality is Ipswich Town have won more trophies. And so while trying to persuade people that Norwich are awesome, I don't really want an Ipswich Town fan coming along providing information that might undermine my point of view. I could make similar points about other sporting things or films or music or whatever else. Um, Can you believe I met somebody recently who thinks that probably about only one in ten Beatles songs is actually good? It's outrageous. Beatles are massively awesome, wonderful, incredible band. Yeah, had their own issues, but very good music. Uh, Let's move on. Um, So, 
it comes down to, I think James is saying, it comes down to motivation. He even says in verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And really what he's getting at there is if you ask with wrong motives, you will ask for the wrong thing. You will ask based on your motivations. And if your motivations are wrong, you won't ask for the right stuff. I know I have a tendency, have had and probably still do have, to ask God for the things that I think are right. Now, sometimes I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be. And so I do put into my prayers from time to time, sometimes quite often, God, this is what I'm praying for because it's the best I, best sense I can make of the situation. You know, I'm I, um, praying for my, um, my friend to do well in their degree because I can't think why that wouldn't be the right thing to pray for. But I will go on to say... But I know, God, that you see more than I do. And so if you think of a reason, if you're aware of a reason why it would be better for them not to do so well in their degree, I'm going to have to trust you with that. Because I know I don't know all the answers. I don't find it easy to pray prayers like that. I don't find it easy to bring humility into my prayers and ask for something while remaining aware that I might be wrong. But motivation is so important. If you ask with the wrong motives, you'll ask for the wrong thing. And James drives that point home by saying, you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, this is where, if it's not about hedonism, it has to be about something else. And so we might say, um, you're asking for a thing, because if you get that thing, you'll then be able to get what you want from the world. Now, you, you'll be you're able to indulge your passions, because God has given you the thing that enables you to indulge your passions. James, I think, is very clear here in saying that that is not how it's supposed to work. You adulterous people, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Well, so what does friend of the world mean here? Or what does adulterous people mean here? I think adulterous people is another of those references to um, being double-minded. Remember, back to our illustration about the Formula One drivers, both Ocon and Perez wanted to finish ahead. They wanted to be the one who got the adulation more. They wanted to want to prove themselves to be justified, perhaps, in the, in the eyes of others, to win the approval of the team manager, possibly. Who knows? But the motivation there was not to do whatever it takes to go for the right outcome. It was to do whatever it takes to get their own priorities um, turned into reality. It's tricky, this. It's tricky not least because as children of grace, we very often believe our perspective to be godly because we follow Jesus. And so why wouldn't it be? It means putting your hand on your heart and saying, I know that sometimes, even though... I've thought something through in a way that means I am confident that it's biblical and may still not quite be seeing what God wants me to see or I might just not be seeing what God does see. Maybe I'm not actually hearing the Spirit. Remember in Acts 10, I know I quote it a lot, but in Acts 10, Peter has to have his entire view of what is um, considered clean and unclean. He has that entire worldview turned upside down and he has to adapt quickly our assumptions about what's right and best aren't always correct even if we're apostles even if we are religiously observant apostles it's not hard 
I think part of what James is reminding us is that our sinful nature, James doesn't call it that, but Paul does, our sinful nature means that we are forever in this internal battle between where we put our actual trust and what we believe to be right. And because he's pointing out that battle, he's, he quotes, we're in verse 6 here, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is really difficult to resist the devil when the devil is encouraging us to believe something that meets our assumptions. One of the toughest things about going to Bible college was was arriving and having staff, um, faculty members, lecturers say to you, we know that part of our responsibility over the next three years is to pull your faith apart. And it's not because they didn't want you to have one. It's because they knew that a lot of what we believe is based on our assumptions or something we've inherited or something our Sunday school teacher taught us 10, 20, 50 years ago. And that it's so important that we pull that apart and shine a light on it so that we know why we believe what we believe. It's why reading scripture is so important so that we can go back and not just pull out a verse that says something that we like but actually see the wider arc of scripture so that we can understand how the spirit is trying to show us what the world is like and how the spirit can see what the power of Jesus can do in that world and how the spirit can see the love of the father at work in the world so we need to ask ourselves if we're going to resist the devil if we're going to pursue being humble if we're going to acknowledge the battle in our own hearts and look to look for the right side of that battle to be winning to be triumphant we need to ask what are we pursuing now i said before um this gets really tricky because it means looking at yourself and 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 possibly saying this thing which i always believe to be right maybe god is trying to show me that it's more complicated than that or more nuanced than that or even just that I'm playing out of line. I think when it comes to me and I venture to suggest as humbly as I can possibly to all of us is that our motivation is to have our voice heard or to be valued by others or to see our priorities and our agenda bear fruit or to be accepted by those around us, or to be considered wise or worth something. Those are very powerful motivations. But they are motivations that come from the world. And by pursuing them, we are friends of the world. And what God says is, don't be proud. Don't cling on to the thing that you think is important. Cling on to the thing that I am telling you is important. Now this comes into glorious technicolour when we think about the way Baptist churches function. Baptist churches uh, operate through something called um, congregational governance. So the idea is that all of us together are seeking the will of Jesus. We're trying to identify what we think Jesus wants us to do. And that sometimes gets really tricky because of this exact issue of finding out whether the thing that we think is right is the thing that God thinks is right. The process of seeking God's will can be painful. I heard a little while ago of exactly this process being gone through at um, Baptist 
uh, Latter's Union Council, I think it was some years ago, when there was some work being done on an apology for the transatlantic slave trade from the Baptist Union. And among other things, what they did was continually return to prayer and then discussion and return to prayer and to discussion. Aware that there was lots of emotion in the room that was going to be an obstacle to hearing Jesus' will. And at the end of the process, there were those who said, I'm not sure I agree with this, but I am sure what Jesus is asking me to support. Isn't that amazing? That, that ability, that humility to say, my brain might not have caught up with this yet, but my spirit in tune with God's spirit can hear what he's calling for. Those kinds of examples of humility are perhaps the most precious. I hope I am able to do that. I hope that you are too. But I suspect it's going to come with training our spirit, training our emotions, so that we can hear Jesus' voice together. Otherwise, what we're doing has very little grace in it. It just becomes about thumping the, the lectern and saying, this is how it must be. Perhaps that's particularly tricky in some ways for us at Watch at Baptist Church as we consider how we go forward beyond next January. I'd imagine that bringing humility into those conversations is going to be the most effective thing, but also one of the trickiest. I wanted to quote uh, from a Beatles song I mentioned earlier about coming across somebody who uh, didn't think the Beatles were all that. Um, despite that, I'm going to quote uh, from a track called Within You Without You, which George Harrison wrote and is on the Sgt Pepper album. And the quote goes like this. We were talking about the space between us all and the people who hide themselves behind a wall of illusion never glimpse the truth. Then it's far too late. How dangerous it is for us to ignore what humility prompts us to do. Because it could just be that we hide behind an illusion and never glimpse the truth. As we think of all these things, I just wanted to highlight a couple of bits to finish. One is just to be straight with all of you that we need to remember people in churches, those who follow Jesus, those who have been faithful to him for years, will actually pray for their own way. Now, I'm, if I was with you in person, I at this point would say, hands up, who's ever done that? And, and I'm going to put my hand up. Certainly, I have prayed to God, say, please, could you work this through in the way that works for me? Effectively, when I do that, I'm saying, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come my will be done but my will isn't done in heaven and it wouldn't do the earth any good if it was my will that was followed the thing is that all of us do this and it would be tempting in listening to this perhaps to think i know who needs to hear that i can think of people who need to be reminded that they need to not just pray for their own way and if that's you you may be bob on about the person you're thinking of or the people but please stop and instead reflect on how you do that the ways in which you pray for your will
and you just hope that God can fit everything else around what your will is. There is a battle within. That's how James starts this chapter. There is a battle within. The Spirit does dwell within us. We get this from John 14 and from 1 Corinthians 6 and from Romans 8. But we are capable, so horribly capable, of generating enough noise around us that we don't hear the Spirit. Of never quite sitting down opposite the Spirit of God and saying, talk to me, tell me what it is I need to know. Of spending time in prayer with others, but never really stopping and giving the Spirit space to say this. This is what I need you to hear right now. Wrong motives give rise to wrong requests. Wrong requests just mean that we're not listening to the Spirit. And as a local church, we can end up in all the wrong places as a result. God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Maybe that is the very heart of what we learn from this passage. May we learn not to be like Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez, just trying to get ourselves ahead. Not being attacking or defensive, but standing with us, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not speaking badly of them, even if we're right, but always showing them the same grace that Jesus shows us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would hear James's call in the spirit for humility in the church. We pray that we'd use our words wisely, that when we talk about others who also know you, that we would speak well of them. And that while we might have priorities and agendas and preferences and assumptions, that we would be able to see through all of those things to the light that you bring and ultimately only to follow that light. Amen. I'm going to ask three questions. Question one, in what ways do you need to be more humble? Short question, big topic. Have fun with that one. Question two is a second self-reflection question. But if we're in a group, don't be afraid of these. This is part of how we get to be honest enough with each other that we can be of real help to each other as we grow spiritually. So question two is this. How do you ask God to do your will? In what ways, in what areas, on what subjects do you go to God and actually really just say, can you do what I would like you to do, please, God? And question three, how can we in the local church help each other to seek God's will? What is it that we can do? What, what environment do we need to create? What patterns might we need to follow so that we can help each other seek God's will and hear the voice of Jesus? Well, that's it from me, and I look forward to uh, sharing with you again soon. Next time we'll be having the back end of James 4 and the beginning of 
chapter five mixed in together and Helen will be your uh, speaker for that. But I'll see you soon. Do take care and God bless.